Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. And special thank you to our lovely patrons that help donate so that we can pay the editor to remove the swear words and silly things we say. Massive thank you to... Carlos Campos. Art Faulkner. Sam Dharma. Mikey Dread. On with the show. Let's Drone Out. Hello, and you're listening to Let's Drone Out. Tonight, we are joined by everyone's favourite curry kitten. Hello. Everyone's live broadcast, but on a drone, Tommy. Hola. He was one of the guys when back when Royal Riot was good. Uh, for anyone, anyone new here. Yeah, let's make uh, enemies now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's make right. Drew ruined Royal Riot. No, I said it. Um, but fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the man with the moustache, Stephen. Cheers. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Brighton Till I Fly, and the man who does our lovely thumbnails and socials, my buddy Carl. Howdy. Ah, so you made me look great. That was me. <laughs> yeah, <that's> <laughs> he's really. No, he took that was your mother, actually. But... <laughs> I don't know how can, he done it. Can we, Ooh. before we get going, talk about the last video you put out because i don't know about anybody else to watch it but i was getting so nervous on your behalf just watching this because i'm like they're gonna go live he hasn't done enough fly-throughs he's just talking he hasn't got they're moaning their control system's not working and the the, uh, did you have a an actual proper go at and then when you were doing it, the director's just going like, just slow down, like, you know, it's hard to put the brakes on. It's like, I'm in the yeah. middle of an orbit here. Oh my goodness. That was, that was hands down. It was, you know, so I've, I've done freestyle competitions. I've raced like, you know, like on the world circuits. I've done a lot of things. And um, that, that was hands down the most nerve wracking thing I have ever done. Like by far, I, and I, I don't admittedly follow college basketball, but when I found out that I was doing this, I, I just wanted to do my due diligence and kind of understand, you know, just the scope of things. And it turns out, you know, NCAA college basketball out here in the U.S. at least is actually way more intense than the NBA, just for the simple fact that college basketball players aren't getting paid to do this. So they're absolutely doing it, you know, just for the passion and, and obviously for the, you know, the, the opportunity to, to make the uh, emotions are running high then. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, um, and you could feel that like right inside the stadium, you know, it's packed every single seat from the, from the floor seat all the way to the last up the very top is packed. There's not one single empty seat that I could find from my naked eye uh, and then on top of that, everybody is into it 100%. Again, from everybody from the bottom to everybody at the top, everybody's cheering for whoever team that they're rooting for. And the energy is just absolutely intense. So all that to say, it, it was it was it was very nerve wracking because not only that happening, but then it's also a very you know wildly watched you know sporting event. 
And uh, yeah, to to you know to answer your question, like there was, it was I, I was there three days before game day, and the first day was just literally just talking through what was going to happen, how this is going to happen, and there was a you know it was it could very well happen that after those conversations they just be like, well, I, this is probably not going to work out. We don't feel it's safe, or it's not going to fit in, or whatever. And then that was that. And uh, thankfully, the discussions kept progressing. And then the next day was like, all right, let's go ahead and test this to see what it would look like. Let's get the timing down, et cetera. And um, on that day, we were figuring out that like where they wanted me to be and the flight path that they would wanted, like it wasn't working out. And and I figured that out just from hand holding the drone mm -hmm. uh, because we didn't end up even getting to test that day because so they let you like walk through and one of yeah stand outside and you send a guy in to walk through yeah ex exactly like, so i stood like, where i wanted to stand and then i had my ac walk out there with everything and just kind of do a walkthrough test just to mm -hmm. see what was going to happen and, and that was going to serve you know two things it was going to serve me to make sure that my rf from both radio and fpv was going to work uh and then it was also testing the broadcast rf because they also need to be able to get the signal and, you know, the, the way that works is I showed up and they gave me the transmitter and everything. And they, you know, it's on them to figure out that the RF was going to work. And, and for them, they needed to make a couple of adjustments as well. So even on that first or second day where I didn't get to fly, but we did the walkthrough, their RF was like, ah, this is not working out. We need to make a couple of adjustments. And then obviously production and the NC and God, like I thought there was a lot of people that needed to be involved to to do something in like the commercial world. But for this, it was like there was at least like 10 representatives from like different departments that I don't even know who from what and where. <laughs> but like every single one had a say in all of this. And it was it was wild. It was crazy. But um, thankfully, by the third day, we I did get to do one test flight, uh, literally one test flight just to make sure RF was working and that was it and then after that they needed to move on for other things that they needed to test uh mainly because like for the test i also called out like hey we just need to make sure that x y and z is clear you know that there's not a whole lot of people you know in the flight path and things like that so it was nerve-wracking because uh i only had one 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 test flight and that was wow. it yeah yeah that's crazy well, it, it, was wasn't, it wasn't straightforward. It was through some double doors and up uh, an escalator and over some stuff. It's like, uh, I just figured if you hadn't practiced that a good few times, it's like, where am I going again? <laughs> Which <laughs> might be the, the answer. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like, here's, here's where, you know, like back when I used to race kind of comes in hand because like when you, you know, in racing, like you have your practice heat and that's your moment to learn your track. And so it's kind of no different when it's something like this, where it's a one take where you got to figure out basically substitute gates for doors or, you know, landmarks at this point and uh, just make sure you do a smooth job. And then also while listening to the director, which I explained a million times, like the camera's fixed. So any, anything that I do to correct or, you know, compensate for whatever is going to register on camera. And so when you said earlier, like, oh, yeah, slow down, I heard that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, how do I make this look decent on camera? 
and still buy him the time that he needs to, you know, get the other cameras rolling. And so technically I was supposed to just stay, he wanted me to just stay outside perimeter, but to, <laughs> but to, to, to buy the time and to slow it down, I decided to slow it down really like a lot. But then that sent me on a trajectory down the middle of the court. And I was like, well, this is what we're doing. And so I just kind of <laughs> committed. I was wondering how much they kind of manage the flight path that you take. Do they give you like an absolute, you've got to stay along this corridor and not deviate more than a couple of feet? Or is it just a rough? No. Rough so, so in that case, I actually had a lot of leeway. Like their, their, um, what they wanted was like, we just want you to start on the outside, show what's going out in this courtyard and then make your way inside however you see fit and then make your way into the court and then orbit the court. And originally they thought I was going to stay on the bottom floor and mm -hmm. navigate through all of that. But it, that was a gauntlet of because, I mean, I know you guys aren't familiar with Caesar Stadium, which you guys not being in the U.S., but Caesar Stadium is originally a, a football stadium. And so it's a lot bigger. And to convert it for a basketball event, they actually build up bleachers to bring everything down closer. And so because of that, that that bottom floor was just not going to work out because like there was just no clear way for me to get from outside to the inner court. And so I made the modification to go upstairs. And then so then they had to go through the logistics of like, all right, we need to rope this off. Nobody goes through this path and this door, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Well, I like I, I like how someone like shouted at the security guard, like you know, don't move, you know, because he's like walking out in front of you, and it's like having to yeah. explain people that like you get in the way, you're gonna get you're gonna get your dick chopped off. There's a lot of human traffic at the at your where you were. It's like suddenly everybody and their dog wanted to suddenly cross in front of you for some yeah. reason. It's just this huge queue of people. Well, so so where I ended up being was on the bottom floor. So that was high traffic area. People are still setting up. But the flight where I originally thought I was going to be was upstairs because just, you know, I don't have that first, second floor difference. But the, but interestingly enough, um, the signal wasn't working up up there. And maybe that's just because there was just so many things between me and our starting point, which is outside way down in the courtyard which by the way i was super scared about that because i wanted to take off closer to the steps the entrance fly towards the the start point and just hover there until they you know until things were good um and then fly back but for you know all of the safety reasons including the faa they said no you can't do that you need to walk the drone over there and take off from the stage outside and so I was like, oh, I've never, I've never armed a drone that far before, especially with DJI, you know, and I was literally just at like one bar <laughs> on, on DJI over there. Uh, so I was really like concerned, like if this was even going to work out and I'm, the test obviously proved that it was going to be fine. But yeah, it was, uh, there was a lot of logistics, a lot of talk for what was, you know, just a 45 second, one minute run. It must have felt like an eternity to you. No, like. well, the flight was the flight was whatever, and, and I think that's just something like with myself. Every time the goggles goes on and and I arm and I take off, like I'm 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 in it. However, 
the 30 minutes before that felt like 30 days. <laughs> oh my gosh. Especially because I'm on, I'm on walkie. So like I hear, I hear all of them talking and um, it's, and it's really interesting to hear just the internal production chatter with the directors and the camera people and whatnot. But like what really did me in was like when I heard like, okay guys, we're like just we're 30 minutes away from like showtime and just a heads up, this is our first time we're going to do this with the drone intro. Everybody pay attention, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, oh, my God, great. Like, <laughs> it's like this is – okay, cool. And I'm only, I only you know, did a walk test on day one. I got one flight test on day two. And then they made their uh, – you know, whatever final adjustments they needed on day three. And the fourth day was, uh, you know, it was go time. So it was, it was, ah, yeah, yeah. I still get like a little chilly about it whenever I think about it. I'll tell you, you what, though. Like, sorry. Okay. No, I was just going to say, I, I, now, now that I know how it goes, I, I, I think, I think, I think I'll be a little bit more relaxed moving forward. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that first time is always like, ah, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I hope my gear stays solid. I was wondering if you had like a routine. Are you out there like, you know, checking every single screw on the quad, tightening everything up, or do you just try and stay super calm and just not fiddle with, with the gear? No, I do. So that, that is something that I do um, uh, all the time. Um, in fact, I test all of my gear a couple of days beforehand. That's just standard procedure. Like everything goes for a test flight, um, make sure everything powers up. Because I've had instances where, um, you know, like a 12-volt reg that's supposed to power the camera just stops working for whatever reason. Um, hasn't been a problem lately because I've updated to a different regulator, but like it's little things like that, that'll really screw you up. And I learned that on one, a, a feature that I did last, I think like last August. And it was one of those things where, oh snap, it's not, it's not working great. Like I ha I'm like literally out there on set soldering a new uh, voltage regulator not just picking up a new one like taking it off of another one that had went down and just you know making things work so i i've learned that it's just peace of mind you just test all of your gear a couple of days beforehand and then on the day of yeah i i just check check things just it doesn't hurt to check things twice three times peace of mind yep yep well, at least you weren't on a boat this time, right? One hundred percent. Oh, thank goodness I'm not on a boat. I, I mean, I, this is still more nerve-wracking than the boat. The boat was just very uncomfortable, like extremely uncomfortable. How many days was that? The boat. Well, I was just on the boat for a day. Okay. If you're talking yeah. about the, the, the on least the boat catch, proper, which, but the actual trip, how the, long? The actual trip was about six days. Yeah, for uh, for deadliest catch, which I think somebody just messaged me saying that the that 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 season started. So um, I haven't oh. seen it, so I don't know how much of my footage that they used. But uh, hopefully, they used. Yeah, so you had to pixelate some. Are you going to let us uh, see what the footage is now? The season rolls. Do you have a a date when it's okay to share that? Um, I don't because it's one of those things where if they put out the footage, then I could put out that same exact footage. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and I don't, the thing is, is I don't know if they are going to sprinkle it out through all of the episodes or if mm -hmm. they're just going to put it all into just the introduction or the first episode. Cause that's like, you know, the, the whole, like uh, the hero, they call it like the hero, the hero episode, which is kind of just setting it up and hyping it up. Um, so I don't know. Um, but I'll, I'll be paying attention. And then I, as it comes out, if it makes sense, maybe I'll, 
I'll just post a couple of snippets of uh, of that footage, especially like if they didn't use the things that I thought was cool, because there was so many things on that boat that I was just like flying through tiny little gaps and whatnot that to me is cool, but you know, to production and the director, they 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 see things with a very different eye. So there's going to be like a freestyle cut then. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope so. <laughs> I definitely took one pack where I was just freestyling most of the time. Nice. Yeah, that must be kind of weird. Like you go out and you fly so much and then you're like, okay, it's a mystery. What is actually going to end up in the edit and you have pretty much no say over it. Right. Like, no, I have absolutely, I have absolutely no say. Yeah. I mean, like e e even if it's a scenario, which happens pretty often where the DP asked me like, so what do you think is cool? I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's on what the director and the editor feels like is, is nice. Which yeah, I mean, they because I guess there's a lot of things that don't make it. I guess at the same time, though, they, they wouldn't hire you unless they knew that you could get them something, right? So, yeah, yeah, I I find that you know, in my experience, it goes two ways. Like either FPV is a buzzword, and they just want to include it because it's the new thing, and then that's when they really ask me, like, so here's what's happening. What do you what do you think is cool? which I, I like because then it, it gives me some creative, um, you know, some creativity there. Um, or it's the opposite where they know exactly what they want and they have a pretty decent understanding about the limitations of, uh, of FPV. And then I'm literally just doing exactly what they want. And sometimes it, I think it's cool. Sometimes, but most of the time I don't, I, I think it's like, well, you could have probably just got this with like a regular gimbal drone or a heavy lift or something like that. Oh yeah, that's why you got to rip it and put a power loop at the end of the shot. Yeah, <laughs> well, I do that. I try to do that. Here's a little. Here's a little tidbit. I try to do that on like my practice run, just mm -hmm. to leave a lasting impression with people, whether or not they use it. If yeah. I have an opportunity to do a a test flight, which I try to anytime I can, um, I, I I go like ninety percent and just really you know because then it gets them thinking like oh I I thought I wanted this but seeing that what that could do maybe maybe mm. try this instead and if 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 it doesn't do anything if it doesn't change anything for that shot at the very least i gave this dp director producer a ride that they you know that they won't forget and yeah at the very least you've given them a laugh and maybe they'll chat about it in the bar afterwards right and someone else right absolutely well, you want to wow them right so that maybe in the future when they have another production, they're like, Oh, maybe I could get this crazy kind of shot. You kind of already give them a little teaser of what is possible. Right. So that's it. That's it. Yeah. You know, like you, you know what, one thing that I learned being on set is you, you definitely want to be super friendly and, and easy to talk to and work with. Uh, and you want to leave a lasting impression. And for, for FPV pilots, you're in like a great, you know, you're, you're in a great position to do that just because if you have an opportunity to do a test flight and they happen to have a monitor where they can watch what's going on, you know, you're most, you know, they've never seen FPV freestyle before. So if you just do anything even remotely crazy, that to maybe us isn't really that all that crazy, but like it, to us, maybe it's just like a warm up. But to them, it's just like, what is, <laughs> what is this? Oh my God. Like, let me sit down, you know, and then yeah. the lasting impression, they remember you next time you need drone work you're the first person that comes to mind. You're, you're making really fun videos about your sort of production stuff. And it, 
I was going to say it looks glamorous, but some of the stuff doesn't, like when you're on a boat looking like you want to die and stuff. But (laughs) for people thinking about getting into sort of commercial work, is what is the downside? Because immediately I think, well, you've got to be on beck and call just to go off somewhere for several days, and you might be going to climates that you might not like that much, and there might be an awful lot of waiting around just for you to get like a couple of packs in to maybe capture one shot, is it? What's the ups and downs there? I mean, you you pretty much nailed it on the head. Like, uh, I'll tell you my experience. Like, I as I started working into like bigger and bigger productions, like I started feeling like, oh man, like this is this is glamorous. Like this, I would like I've never been on set before and seeing how things work. And um, I'll tell you one: you quickly lose that feeling once you realize like what set life is really like and it really is a lot of hurry up and wait um and and that's just the truth of it and uh you know like when you go out to freestyle and you're trying to make a video or something like that you probably go out there and you do a warm-up pack kind of explore the area and then just kind of like you know kind of make your way into it and start feeling loose and you really start feeling good you don't have that luxury at least not always you don't have that luxury uh, in production life because it, it could be, Hey, I need a test light producers. Like we don't have time for it. I can't clear these people out. Well, whatever X, Y, Z reasons, which means like you, you got to go into the shot cold. Um, there's other things where like, they'll have you show up at like five 30 in the morning, but your shots, not even until like five 30 in the evening, you get that half the battery. If you're, if you're lucky, you get the shot that they want in one take and then you're done. And then you sit there till like seven or 8 PM and then you get wrapped and then you go home. So that's like, you know, that's pretty much the life. Like you, you, for the most part, especially if drone isn't main camera, you, you show up and you, you pretty much just wait and you fly for a very little bit. Uh, and, and then that's it. Um, Otherwise, if you are, if Joan is main camera, which I've had that happen before, then you're just back to back flying. Then the day goes by just like super fast. But what sort of stuff have you done where drone is main camera? Because normally it's interspersed with lots of other regular camera shots. Yeah, I I recently did. um, It it was with Acura. They were showing off the new, a couple of new cars and the, the director, his idea was just everything was going to be shot on FPV drone. Um, I don't know if it if they ever finally came out with it or in what where it came out, but that was you know that those are usually the times where the drone is like main camera. So uh, especially when you're awesome. chasing something, like it just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Uh, while we're on the subject of uh, the deadliest catch, before we move on from that, um. So you had a, a couple of unfortunate moments there where you got a lighting system that knocked you out of the sky and uh, you lost a quad, which has got to be extra bad when you're up in the middle of nowhere and you can't just go down the shops or can't get someone to UPS you something. So uh, what's your take on GPS now? I think a lot of people were wondering like why you didn't have gps then but then a lot of people also saying well it's beta flight and gps is always like flipping a coin so yeah stand on that now i think especially for being on set oh it's 100 all of my cine lifters that i'm building moving forward is absolutely going to have 
GPS on it. Like GPS for me, just because I come from the old school grassroots days of freestyle, I'm like, ah, you don't need GPS. You're never going to go that far. But arguably, like, you know, the application wasn't necessary, right, for, for freestyle. But for Cinelist or stuff, I think it's, it's why not? Like, it's literally a couple of grams for something that makes so much more thrust than our typical five-inch GoPro freestyle quads that it doesn't really matter. You might as well have it. Um, now, that said, like, I, I've been testing a lot with, the, with not 4.3 Betaflight GPS, but, like, on 4.2. And comparing that to iNav and iNav's return to home or even just like position hold, I feel like is just so much better than beta flight. But then my problem then is the trade-off is that it doesn't fly as good as beta flight. So it's kind of like this, you know, like, ah, you got you to gotta pick your poison. But uh, I haven't quite made up my mind yet in terms of which firmware I'm going to run. But Without a doubt, every Cinelifter build that I do moving forward is absolutely going to have GPS on it because you just never know. You never know when a lighting system is going to take your RF down. You never know when a when a bee is going to land on your neck and bite you and you freak out, which I've had that done happen. You just never know what's going to happen. And to just have any kind of fail safe, even if it's just to hover, you know, like or hit angle mode and then just land is better than it just falling out of the sky. Yeah, absolutely agree. I, actually, if I really, if I'm really talking about what would be my ideal firmware, it would be taking um, all of the features of Pixhawk, uh, Pixhawk Argue Pilot, and then literally just carving out and implementing Betaflight's flight PID loop algorithms and firmware. The, the Pixhawk does seem to be the darling of the commercial world in terms of if you look at these big, great big sort of experimental drones or crop stuff or these big fixed wing stuff, it's always got some sort of Pixhawk in there. But um, it always seems to be driven through Mission Planner, which is a combination of a really shitty version of Excel coupled with this thing that just whinges constantly about the compass being mental. As far as I can tell, that's that's my experience of trying to fly Ardu Pilot. It's it, it's bad. If they could improve the way it worked in some way to make it a little bit more user friendly, I'm sure more people will be into it because you can run um, the Ardu stuff on an F4 board now, and odds on you can probably run it on an F F7. So you've got the performance there, but the the interface and the 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 learning curve of all these billions of Mavlink messages you can get from it seems to be absolutely enormous. Yeah, well, so here's the thing, right? Like I've I've always looked at RG Pilot and Pixhawk to be um kind of like the Tesla of of uh flight firmware. In meaning that like they never really intended for you to fly the drone. They they just absolutely wanted you to put in the coordinates of where you wanted it to fly, and then Pixhawk took care of the rest. Whereas the complete opposite end of that spectrum, such as Betaflight, it was all about the flying experience, where you are absolutely tied one to one, you know, from your sticks to what the drone was doing. Um, so yeah, it doesn't. It never and it never did fly well. And this is even back when I used to to make you know, one-off um, surveillance drones and we were using Pixhawk, but again, it was just for the sole purpose because of planting in a specific path 
hit and go. And then really the operator, all the operator really is doing is controlling a camera. So, you know, never really expected it to fly well, but to your point, I, I feel like now with uh, the new hardware that's on board with available open source, such as Betaflight um, flight firmware and, and PID loop algorithms, I don't see why you can't marry the two and get the mm. best of both worlds. Like there's just, I, I think it's a matter of time. Maybe somebody just needs, somebody needs to, you know, plant it in somebody's head yeah. and whisper it into somebody's ear or something like that. But like, it's absolutely doable. Yeah. I'm a pretty technical guy and I've, I'm quite comfortable looking at most of the stuff around this hobby, but Pilot has just, just, I've just bounced off it. I look at it and I, the state of the user interface, it's incomprehensible. It looks like something from 1999. Yeah. And then you see the smartphone apps that are kind of table stakes for most drone stuff these days. I mean, I can even run the beautiful configurator on my smartphone. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just not, it needs to be more. There's a gap in the market. So someone will fill that gap. But right now, yeah. it's, it's not there. I mean, I've, I've flown like an Alta X, which runs off of ArduPilot, and um, it, it flies great. It's not, it's not terrible. I, now, mind you, not in like full Acura mode. So I know it's there. It's just that ArduPilot from like its grassroots was made to be more autonomous. And so they put more emphasis on the features like being able to hook up an electric magnet for some type of catch release system to the mission planner and being able to do certain maneuvers around certain waypoints and things like that. And that's just kind of the opposite end of beta flight where the emphasis is on the flight feel and things mm. like that. Right. So I think it's just, it's just two pieces of firmware on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And hopefully if somebody out there is listening or willing to talk to me, <laughs> let's, let's get the best of both worlds and you'll have something that's really solid for the CineLift or industry. Yeah, I remember seeing a helpful comment from one of the Pilot devs uh, about those recent uh, bi-directional D-shot issues with Betaflight 4.3. I was yeah. surprised to see that come out of, of that camp rather yeah. than the traditional Betaflight camp who are more uh, intense about the flight performance characteristics and, and less about features. But right. I noticed with the H series, we're, we've gone from like 512K of flash to 2 meg of flash. So maybe there is room for a beta flight that has more features or an INAV that adds in a bit more flight performance. But yeah. It might end up becoming only for newer chips. I, I hope so, because like I, I think that's kind of just been um, RG Pilot and Pixhawk's kind of like... Uh, limiting factor is is that the hardware seems to still be from like five years ago mm -hmm. and they've just never bothered to uh to update it but i i i, I think you sometime soon somebody will, will port it over and make it f7 h7 compatible and and then at that point it's like i i i don't see why you couldn't implement the best parts of beta flight and then retain the best like safety and redundancy features that ArduPilot has so you could have some course tracking where you, you've got a, an object and the camera's tracking it and then just snap out of that flight mode and rip down on full manual and do some stunts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, like, the biggest thing is just position hold because mm -hmm. I've, you know, I, I feel like I can, I can replicate, you know, things that, like, standard heavy lift um, drones can do even in manual mode. It's really just having that, safety factor of position hold for when things don't go right and either you have a fail safe and it just stays there 
or you have another issue with maybe like video, somebody powers on a mic light or a tarot deck and your video goes to then it's like, cool, flip it into position, hold and figure out what's going on. Like that to me, that's like the biggest, biggest feature. Like if beta flight, you get that figured out, I'd be like, cool, I'll stick to beta flight, you know, because like, you don't want me to climb climb to altitude. You want it just to, I just want to stay still. Yeah, yeah, I just wanted to stay there. Like, wherever it was at, just stay there and then yeah, let me figure out. Because there could be stuff above you. Exactly. 100%. 100%. And, uh, but yeah, that is, that is like, the one feature that if 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 I could have it my way with even Betaflight. Like, we don't even have to go with Arduopilot or iNav. But if Betaflight could just have a solid position hold, I would be all about it. Because like Cinelifters now are getting more expensive, right? So like it used to just be let's carry a Black Magic. Now it's like oh we're carrying Komodos. Oh now we're building three axis gimbals. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, in in the production world, you know, like even though to us like a Komodo is like oh that's an expensive super balling camera. <laughs> Honestly, in the production world, the Komodo is like the GoPro <laughs> of, yeah. of the rest of them, right? Because they're just so used to like Ari's and mini LS and things like that. And they, they still to this day ask. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it's up. So, you know, it's, it's just a matter of time, you know, to when these things are just super uber expensive and to not have something as simple as GPS position hold in the event of a fail safe or any other, you know, bad scenario is just, you're just asking for trouble. And here's the thing too, like productions are starting to wise up with like FPV drones Mm-hmm. To the effect that they have an exclusion clause now for FPV drones. Is it used to be production will cover any kind of damage? And this is, I don't know how it is out in Europe, but in the US, if um, something happens to your gear, they'll cover it. But now certain productions kind of like learning more about how FPV works. They're like, no, if it's an FPV drone, we don't cover it. And it sure. is abs- it's just on your own personal insurance to, to cover Ooh. it. Yeah. Right. So, Again, you know, as things as these things get more expensive, it's like you, you need to have these fail safes in place, one hundred percent. Well, plus it's so it, heavy, it's right? And like it can cause serious damage. Like, yeah, I mean, and it, it's, I mean, it's just Komodo's. To, I mean, to me, I still think of Komodo. Hell, I think a GoPro catching a GoPro rig to me is still expensive. Let alone, you know, a Komodo with a proper lens, with the with a proper you know HD transmitter. You've got like twenty twenty five grand in the air, um, and that's 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 like today. Like the things that are coming up now with the three axis gimbals, and they want to do other things and anamorphic lenses, uh, especially out here. Like it's super common for them to want to use a lens, and there's like only five in existence and i'm always like ah, i really don't feel like running your land you know what i mean like it's 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 right it's crazy and the amount of money that's in the air and it's yeah it's uh yeah i try not to think about it i just <laughs> yeah it's a little bit unnerving because beta flight's still very much it's there for racers it's there for freestylers but to then also realize people are taking something for racers and freestylers people who bang up quads and will think nothing of replacing several right. parts of their quad during a single day's flying because they smash it up so much like to take that and put it on something that's a cine lifter where you've got like four digits of of, of cash value flying through the air not just a thousand bucks but like ten thousand twenty thousand thirty thousand flying through the air that that's a whole different equation yeah, yeah like one 100- grow up 
100%. And and I also feel like, um, you know, as production companies start to learn more about this, though, they, I, I, I won't be surprised if it comes to a point where they're asking you things like, well, what kind of fail-safe and redundancies does your drone have? And if it doesn't have these, we're like, we, we just, we're not going to run it, you know, because like it, it's, it's happened. Like I've, I've crashed some lifters and Komodos on set and, um, you know, <laughs> production companies aren't really happy about it, but, uh, it's, it's kind of the thing. And that's also one of the things I always talk to them about too, is like when it happens, like, just so you know, like FPV drone, like you got to look at this as like the stunt world, like mm-hmm. we're pushing things to the limit. We're being asked to do things at the very edge of things. Uh, so expect things to go wrong because, uh, and that's just part of managing expectations, you know. So you got to that think... path down that difficult talk where you go up to someone and go, "Look, I might break your stuff." You have like a special little speech that you can warm them up, buy them a donut, <laughs> a coffee. I st- I still haven't perfected this speech. I'm always like. Hey, uh, so you want me to do X, Y, Z, but uh, there's a good chance, you know, like you're, the gap you want me to hit is like this big. The drone's like this big. You like start you know. slowly walking backwards and smiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's been getting not, easier though because like I, I'm 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 kind of starting to get this point where like I'm starting to recognize uh, certain directors and DPs who I've worked with before, and so like the conversation goes a bit. A little bit easier the second time around but um yeah when they're fresh with fpv it's always a difficult uh, explanation about uh the risk as well as just the way it works right because there's still a couple of people out there that don't understand the difference between something with the gimbal versus a fixed camera on an fpv drone this episode was recorded in front of a live online audience, downloaded and edited to make sense when it's played audio only, censored to please the iTunes people, hosted on the internet, forwarded through to your podcast provider, downloaded, playing on your device, and is now playing in your ears, all thanks to our Patreons. Consider joining them and you'll also get other online benefits. Find out more at patreon.com forward slash let's drone out. Um, right. Tommy, have you ever had anyone like um, doubt your abilities and you're like, yo, I'm the man who done the dugger dive, bitch? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I would be very impressed for anybody in production who would see any of like, especially the dugger dive like that. That just never happens. Um, let me think about that. Uh, no, no, no. But it, it's not... It's not because from the lens that I'm like good or anything like that. I feel like I don't feel like I'm the best pilot, but it has more to do with them seeing what's possible and then saying, let's do this. Not so much like I want to do this, but can you do this? You know what I mean? It's more like this is crazy. Like you just opened up my horizon to this whole new realm of possibility of shots. Let's try this. Let's try that. Can we do this? Can we do that? So it's, 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 it's been more of like that kind of perspective. It looks like Brandon's asking, are the production company owned drones and cameras insured? Uh, Brandon, to answer your question, production companies don't own any of the drones, uh, drones and all of the, the gear that goes with it are usually owned by the pilots and or aerial service companies. And 
typically the way it works ideally is the aerial company or yourself have your own insurance, but then production also covers it. However, like I said, we're also kind of coming into this new time now where production companies, because they understand the nature of FPV drones, are starting to not cover FPV drones. Because they don't want to be liable because of the nature of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That must suck, though, because, like, say, for instance, like, your quad went down in the sea. That's like, that probably wipes out most of the money that you get on set for a couple of hours if they're not yeah i mean if they're not covering it then that's very very much a possibility but that's also where you you really should have your own you know insurance coverage you know to to cover things just just to be extra covered production companies usually cover it and then in cases where they don't that's when your own personal insurance should should cover it yeah yeah you gotta be safe yeah. Your excess, though, after a while, they're like, oh, we're not covering you anymore. This yeah. is insane. Like, yeah. Like, oh. yeah. It's tough. It's like, it could be tough. But that's why you should just try not to crash. <laughs> yeah. Just be good. Yeah. Well, just be good offline. Yeah. I suppose crashing's one thing, but like being able to just retrieve stuff and not have to buy everything all over again is another thing. And losing oh, yeah. the shot. Oh yeah. I mean like and and like there was one time where I had to do this shot at the Hollywood sign and I just know from experience even before doing production like I used to try and sneak up there and and do, you know, the Hollywood sign and it's an RF nightmare up there and um I had the situation where I I was good. I was like four flights in, you know, and then the director was like, you know what, this is great, but let's just wait for like the peak golden hour just so that everything's colored really nicely, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, all right, cool. And um, on that flight, like I, I just had a fail safe and the drone went down. And in that case, the professional thing to do is you you bring out the backup and you continue the shot, which is exactly what I did. But at the end of the shoot, I went back up with the flashlight and I just started looking for the drone and it took like a couple of hours, you know, because at the end of the day, if, if I could at least recover the Komodo, (laughs) I could take that and send that back to red and, you know, get it, get it, you know, repaired and whatnot. And the drone is like, whatever the drone, right. We can always, we can fix that, replace the arm or whatever needs to happen. But the Komodo is arguably the most expensive. Well, the Komodo and the lens and the transmitter. Those those are like the most the three most expensive things. It's funny because the drone itself is like the least expensive thing. Yeah, I was just wondering how the big cameras. I mean, I've seen GoPros crash, but how do those big cine cameras fare in crashes? Do you just find shrapnel, or do you do they actually hold together? No, they they're actually really good. Well, I mean, okay, like the only thing that I've crashed is the Red Komodo, and it's it's amazing. They're 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 incredibly strong. Um, in fact, on uh, on the feature film that I worked at, the director was like, send it. Just like, send it. I don't care if you crash it. Let's just try to get the shot. And so I did that. And uh, the like this Komodo was like caved in. Like it, it just, it was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. We send it back to Red and uh, the CEO of Red was just so impressed by the damage that I had inflicted into this camera that he elected to not repair it and instead put it onto his like personal museum 
uh, you know, because it still powered up. The footage mm -hmm. still wrote to the card. Like it was very impressive. Oh, so he could see what you did to his lovely yeah. camera. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. And um, it, it, it could take a lot. It could, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot to really get it to the point where it's just not going to work anymore. Like that, that camera still powered up. It's still recorded. It's just that the screen was broken and it obviously like looked like because it was like caved in and things like that. Yeah, it's probably mostly like lenses and mounts that will in a bad crash, you'll probably wreck the mount or the lens mostly. Right, right. right. You yeah. that's usually that's usually it. But and you know, let me also caveat this by saying like the, the red Komodo was made to be a crash cam. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can't say the same for like a mini LF or any of the RE cameras or anything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but the red Komodo specifically has impressed me through and through with uh, in terms of crashing. It's like the session of cine cams. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's it. It's got the same similar form factor in terms of being it being the box and all that. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You've still got a lot of money in the lens, though. It's not just the body you've got to worry about, I guess. A lot of weight. Yeah. In the yeah, you know, in the very beginning, I used to always have to fly like what the DP wanted, which always worried me because I know, you know, especially if they're like more the one of the more well-known DPs, um, they, they have access to these special lenses that are completely invaluable because they've only made X amount of them. And I'm always just like, I kind of don't want, I, I don't want to do this, um, but there and then when you talk to them they usually understand um but once i get past that i'm actually running cheaper lawa lenses that aren't all that expensive and that you know goes have a lot better in terms of like peace of mind awesome um, brandon beans you want to cover that um i like that the naked black magic pocket cinema seven inch drone the straw hat sam made seems very mm. performance orientated do you see the value of something like that to use yeah so i i actually have that um and when i first saw that i reached out to sam and i was like hey i i love what you're doing i'd love to i'd love to get my hands on one of these and he was kind enough to uh get me his very first prototype of the entire thing um I do. So I do feel some value out of that, but it really just depends, right? Because here's what I've found in the market out here in the US. And that is nobody really cares for the Black Magic Pocket Cinema camera. Now I will say this, when I talk to like Benoit and and um oh my goodness, I can't remember his name now. Cinequads, not Cinequads. Oh my goodness, what's his name? Okay, I'm going to stop before I start making no. <laughs> digging a deeper hole for myself. Uh, but talking to, you know, my friends out in, in Europe, the black magic is widely accepted. So I think, Brandon, to answer your question, the value is just going to depend on whether or not your local clients value that camera. For me specifically out here in Los Angeles, it's 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 not like i had it i showed it i've talked to i try to sell it to you know as an alternative um and it, it's for whatever reason um black magic just doesn't carry any weight out here in los angeles yeah they just want higher specs or 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 maybe even just a name that's associated with something that they're fami more familiar with right that's that's exactly what it is like i 
earlier this morning, I came out of uh, a pre-production meeting and they were like, can you fly the Red Raptor, you know, for FPV? And, and I gave them all the reasons why it's not really worth it. But like I walked away from that conversation just further realizing that like a lot of people just, you know, it's, it's the new toy on the block and everybody wants to play with it. And a lot of times that's what it is. They want familiarity or they want the new thing just to say that they made it with the new thing. Well, speaking of new things on the block, uh, maybe we should segue into the Hero 10 Bones. Sure. What you guys want to know? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, I actually don't really know. Uh, but I guess what are your thoughts on it? Or what, have you had some experience with it so far? Or? Yeah. It happens to be right here, actually. Did, did um, they tell you why it. it's only going to be sold in the US and not in the UK? We can't buy it over here. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. There's a handful of things I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know where they were going to sell it. I also didn't know what price they were going to sell it at, and I didn't know what it was going to come with. Um, and I didn't know any of that until the embargo was lifted and they announced it like that. But what I can tell you is that. Um, just looking at the alternatives, right? And we've seen Insta360 come out with their version of this. Obviously, there's the DIY route where you do it yourself. In my opinion, this is worth it. Like, it is absolutely worth it for the simple fact that you don't have to take apart a GoPro yourself and potentially kill it because I've, I've wrecked a handful just trying to learn the process of doing it. And then second of all, the case that it comes with, I know it's twice as heavy as the DIY route, but it's that much more robust. Mind you, I have not crash tested it, but just holding it and and feeling it in my hand and comparing it to all of the other options, it, it feels that much closer in terms of like GoPro action cam durability. Like it looks like something that you can crash and you don't really have to worry about it. So, and then everything works. So that's the other big thing is like, there's the, the microphone. And if you're like a hardcore freestyle guy and you like to hear the audio that like, I, I know I like to do that. Like you've got all of that, you know? And that's something that you would argue, you would lose if you go the DIY route because you're, you're replacing the entire buttons. Cause that, for those that don't know, the microphone is built onto the same ribbon cable as the buttons. And unless you keep that, you're gonna absolutely lose it. And then you have no audio. And then, I mean, the audio on the Insta360 options are just aren't great, right? Uh, but this, it's, it, this functions 100% like a GoPro and is super reliable in terms of connecting to your phone or using the GoPro remote. And those are all things that, in my opinion, are, are extremely valuable, especially if you're using it on set where you need to check exposure and be able to reliably change settings on the spot. The beeps. Has it got the beeps? Because that's yeah. one thing I miss. Oh. Like, yeah. you know, when you DIY, you don't, you don't get the beep beep. beep oh know, my gosh, stop. I don't know. I actually don't know if it has. Switch it on. Like, yeah. I, I can't. I don't have the. Yeah. So it's. I don't have battery. Uh, power. I don't have <laughs> yeah, the thing on me. But, I, but it has the LED on the back, and it tells you all of that. Um, and you can still set up the whole remote trigger. So if you wanted to set up the an auxiliary on your in beta flight to trigger the start and stop record it does that in fact i've learned that if you connect it to your buzzer um you can have it just automatically start recording as soon as you arm your quad and i found that out by accident because i set it up on there on the buzzer and i forgot to make the changes in beta flight to make it more of an input output trigger and so 
in beta flight by default if you arm your quad it's supposed to beep and it would start recording and i was like oh well look at that it was an unexpected hack and then you arm and it automatically starts recording like dgi so i don't know why yeah how is your uh micros now what are you flying and you know your whoop sort of setups and that so for i mean i haven't really done any jobs that that require a Cinewhoop, but like I still, if if a job came up tomorrow, I would use a Cinelog 35. Just it's just been really solid. It flies forever um, with a full size GoPro. So now with like the bones, that means it would just be even that much better. But uh, I found a Cinelog 35 from from GetRC has been pretty solid, and it flies great. Um, it just works. Oh, it does not have a beep. I missed the beep. Oh, yeah, Brandon confirmed it. Yeah, so yeah. got a, a question from Discord, uh, from Rabbit Ambulance, uh, who says, knowing what you know now and having gotten to where you have in your FBV career, what, if anything, would you have done differently along the way? Oh, goodness. Wow. What a Deep. question. Um, slapped final glide harder. Wow, I don't even know what, what would I do. What would I do differently? Um, I think in the very beginning, I would just be uh more confident, really. Um, because I, I, I honestly think my first year in doing all of this because I think I was just so new with everything. Um, I don't, I, and looking back at it, I don't think I spoke with confidence to directors, producers, and DPs. And when that happens, they don't have a lot of confidence in you. And then in turn, what that means is your opportunity to get shots or do cooler things automatically diminishes. Uh, and it really wasn't until like my second, third year of doing this where I finally felt comfortable to say no. You know, that's also a really big thing. Um, so, yeah, I'll say that as number two. I, I would be more willing to say no earlier on. Um, uh, being confident and being willing to say no, I, I would say it is it. Because, like, in the very beginning, I just wanted to please anybody and just do it, even though deep down I knew it might not would work out or the safety factor wasn't exactly there, which is very hard because when you come from grassroots freestyle, like, there's no such thing as safety, just – if you break it you break it (laughs) but in this case it's absolutely different like you know crashing on set is a very very big deal especially when there's talent involved but uh yeah i i to answer your question those would be the two things that i would i would do differently Mm. is you know there's no reason to come on set and not be confident i think for me personally i just wasn't very confident in my communications because i've never been in this setting before and i don't exactly know the language that people speak or what the expectations are and things like that and then the second thing, as I already mentioned, say no. Say no when when you don't think it's right or you don't think it's going to work out. And I'll always offer a, an alternative. That's another so, thing I always uh, I, I learned very quickly on. Like if you if they ask for something that you know is not going to happen, offer an alternative. Don't just say no. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Solutions, not problems. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make you a shirt that just says no, and then duck <laughs> a dive. 
Ellipsis. <laughs> Did we cover the um, designer drone frame by voting? No. Oh, we should we should talk about that. Yeah, because this is, this is your other little project. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've always, uh, yeah, it's something that I've always been kind of toying with the idea, and up until recently, never really had the the means to do so, uh, and that was to just literally just design a quad completely based off of community vote, and, um, and the reason why I've never I've been shy to do it early on is because like you know, with business and things like that and making frames, you always had these minimum MOQs that you had to hit in order to actually make a production run. And so for me, it was just a, too much of a risk to try to design something based absolutely on the community where I don't necessarily know if it's going to be popular or not, and then have to meet this MOQ and potentially be stuck with something that at the end of the day, only five people wanted. <laughs> and I had to make like a thousand, you know what I mean? Um, but thankfully, you know, I've been blessed with uh, having a shop now and being able to cut frames in-house where I don't have to worry about that. And even if at the end of the day, I only sell 100 of these or only 50 people are interested, I still think it would have been cool to just go through the exercise and share people what happens internally when it comes to designing a frame from start to finish. And really the only difference here with when we try to come up with a frame or I come up with a frame. Um, the design process and testing things out is the same, but the decisions are not with me anymore. It's, it's just absolutely with the community. And with that, you know, I, I first got my start in this entire thing by building my ideal frame and, and I just, everything that I wanted into it. And I thought my frame was so cool. And I, I always thought like, well, how can I bring this back? and share that with other people. And that was like, all right, well, if they got to make all of the decisions, then, you know, it should be pretty close to feeling like it was your own frame. And so that's kind of where the whole thing started. I'm quite excited to see where it goes because it's taken an interesting turn, whereas people voted they want something robust. So they can crash it. But they want it to magically fold like a transformer, which is interesting because, as you said in your video, you're, you can go robust or you can go folding. Nobody's been able to make a folding quad that's robust before. So this is going to be right. interesting. Right, yeah. I So I'm going to be perfectly honest. I When I first started this project, I was hoping, low-key hoping that, you know, it would go by the way of just something wild. like Because I, I like just off the wall, super different, um, you know, especially if it's something that's not out there. And so when I started seeing that as going like, oh, everybody wants – a five inch freestyle bando frame. I was like, there's so many of those out there already. Um, but at, at the very least, I'm glad that it, it took this turn for folding, which, you know, to your point, yeah, you know, at a, at a very high level, having something that folds and having something that's extremely durable don't exactly jive. Um, but, you know, these are the challenges that myself and my team are excited to kind of figure out and see, well, what can we do? At the very least, maybe there's a compromise. So it's still durable for what it is, but it still checks off all the boxes. Yeah. Do you remember the guy who did the, you know, the DJI flame wheel arms? There was a guy who built those out of titanium. 
or some sort of <laughs> really? weird strong ally. Yeah. Holy moly. I was thinking you could speak to Tony Cake and get them, you know, like he had the Shugon that folded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe you could be like, yo, Shugon, but with titanium arms folding. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's and it's funny too because like um, in it to me, I, I always thought something that folds makes a lot of sense for like long range folks, right? Because those are typically like seven inch and higher. And so mm-hmm. now you've got a quad that's really big and I can see why you'd want it to fold. But for like a five inch, it's kind of like, I mean, it's not that big and there's a lot of backpacks out there that can fit, you know, something like that easily in there already. So, but we'll yeah. see. Uh, and yeah, just like spoiler alert, that is absolutely what, uh, what one, um, is a, a something that folds and something that is also durable. I'm actually going to post a video out tomorrow on the next voting round, which is simply, okay, now that we know what everybody wants, uh, people just need to decide now, how does it fold, right? And there's only so many ways you can fold a drone, you know. Uh, it's either just going to be tall and skinny or it's going to be more of a box slash rectangle shape. So that's going to be the next voting round. And then after that, once we figure out exactly how you know people want this to fold, then then it's going to be a crunch time to figure out how to make a solid folding mechanism that doesn't introduce frame resonance. That's easy enough to do because if it's a pain in the ass to fold, then like what's the point? And then also checking out that durability factor. Going folding, <laughs> right? <laughs> Elon, I need your help. <laughs> I know. I know um right that's kind of all we got time for on the podcast all right but uh thank you so much for showing up to me it's always yeah, a man. pleasure having you on no likewise um, it's always a pleasure to be on so you've been listening to let's drone out uh we are sponsored and supported by all our lovely patrons especially win davis he recently upped our patreon unfortunately we lost one of our patreons uh last uh week um wes um you'll be deeply missed by the show and uh you know don't forget you can leave a uh if you if you knew where you could leave a remembrance message on his facebook i'm sure his uh wife would appreciate it uh you've been listening to let's drone out you've been joined by everyone's favorite curry kitten good night the Sonic 2 movies uh, coming out soon, and that means Eggman will be busy. Stephen? Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Please shave it all off and just have the Eggman moustache. Please. What? No, keep it. We shall see. No, shall keep see. it. Just have, there might be a change. Just... Summer is coming, and it's getting steadily more uncomfortable, but definitely the moustache is staying. We'll yeah. yeah, just keep the mustache, lose everything else, and be Eggman. We'll get you some glasses. Do it. Um, the man behind the socials, Cole. Good night. Our guest for tonight, Tommy. Oh my God. Thanks for having me, fellas. And I'll be bright Thanks, until man. I fly. You've been listening to Let's Drone Out. Good night. Telemetry lost.